welcome to Audible Interlude, a G.I. Joe podcast. I am your host, Dave, codename Phantom Troublemaker. And I'm your host, Noel, codename Crapshoot. And I am your host, Christian, codename Legion Cub. And we are here to talk about G.I. Joe from the original 12-inch figures to the modern classified series. We are three fans who came of age in the Real American Hero era, or I guess became fans in the Real American Hero era. And uh, we love G.I. Joe, and we want to talk about it once a month, wherever you get your podcasts. Noel and Christian, uh, are we ready to record the legendary first episode of Audible Interlude. Heck yeah. Been waiting for this for weeks. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I, this this is going to be some fun stuff. Uh, for the listeners, if you want to go back and check out the Zero episode where we discussed the new G.I. Joe website that Hasbro <laughs> has put up uh, alongside their, their expanded G.I. Joe social media presence, uh, go back and check that out. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us reviews on you know iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you can leave reviews. Leave them there. We appreciate it. Uh, so, guys, let's talk a little bit about who we are, why we're doing this, and our personal G.I. Joe fandom. Uh, Noel, why don't you kick us off? So, uh, I'm Noel Wood. Uh, I um, maintain dorkdroppings.com, which doesn't update very often, but it's still out there. Uh, I've been a G.I. Joe fan my whole life, pretty much as long as I can remember. Uh, I was introduced to it by my uncle, who had the 12-inch G.I. Joe figures that I kind of got bequeathed to back in, you know, late 70s, early 80s. Uh, 82 real american hero came out and i was hooked for life um so yeah it's it's been one of my favorite hobbies one of my favorite uh fandoms and uh got into costuming with it a few years back and uh that's really rekindled a lot of my gi joe fandom here in the last few years working with the finest and raising money for uh great charities and I am Dave West uh I discovered GI Joe in 1982 on a spinner rack of action figures in an Eckerd drugstore. Uh, I was hooked. I loved them. We'll talk, obviously, more about the toys, more about the cartoon, more about the comics as the show goes on. But I'm a lifelong fan. And like many fandoms, I've kind of dipped in and out at my level of intensity over the years. But right now, I would say it is at an all-time high, or at least... Uh, as much as it's been since I was a, a young kid in the 80s playing with my G.I. Joes. And I'm Christian Allen. Uh, I discovered it, uh, much like Dave, uh, seeing the action figures at the 3D's department store. Um, and their articulation stuck out to me versus everything else that was out at the time. And then just the sheer volume of vehicles that came out over the years again dipped in and out but thanks to my younger brother who got into joe about the time that i was getting out of it um i still got to enjoy some of the crazier aspects towards the end of the line looking at you eco warriors (laughs) um uh sort of got out of the gi joe fandom into other things and then came back on board with the 25th anniversary line of figures and been with it ever since 
And we will be talking over the coming months and years about every aspect of G.I. Joe. So those those eco-warriors and Sergeant Savage and G.I. Joe Extreme and uh, even Sigma-6 will be covering all of that stuff in episodes to come. And our intent here is to just kind of have fun and take a look at the various ways in which G.I. Joe is awesome and maybe some of the ways in which it's not so awesome. Uh, we will have each episode different segments uh, with a lot of room for growth. Maybe we won't do the same segment you know, every single episode. We may come up with new and different things based on listener feedback. <coughs> if you guys say, hey, it'd be really cool if you do this, we'll incorporate it into the show because we're fans just like you are, and we want to talk about G.I. Joe in a way that appeals to every Joe that's out there around the world. So to kick things off, in our very first episode, we've gotten our introduction out of the way. You know who we are. You know where we're coming from. Uh, Nolan Christian, when I first pitched this to you guys, which, by the way, if if you'd like to hear us talking more about G.I. Joe, go check out the Needless Things podcast where we've covered, so far, 1980 through, uh, 1982 through 1986 of the Real American Hero toy line. Uh when I first pitched this to you guys, did anything specific pop into your head is like, oh, I can't wait to talk about this? Oh, yeah. So many things. <laughs> but I think this is amazing that this was initially supposed to be one podcast. <laughs> this was, was like, hey, let's get together and talk about G.I. Joe. And then we we're like, well, we kind of ran out of time. Let's do it again. Wait, we ran out of time again. And here we are. Like, you know what? Let's just do it every month. Yeah, the original intent was we were just going to sort of do a G.I. Joe episode where we bounced around, talked about random stuff, and we ended up specifically discussing 1982 through 1985 of the Real American Hero line and realizing there's so much more to talk about, and we really love talking about it with each other because we're fans that are pretty much on the same level that let's just make this a show. Christian, was there anything that sprang to mind that, that you were like what what was and without giving anything away because obviously we got to save some sweet stuff for future yeah. episodes but uh there, there there were a few things that you immediately wanted to get to yeah there's some some at least within my uh friend circle of gi joe fandom some obscure things that actually uh while we were recording our list things podcast episodes uh going online and doing some research there are prototypes and and figures that i never knew about until just now so with all these years and and all the time of being on the internet only recently discovering some of these things uh i'm kind of excited to put it out there and and see what our our listeners know as well and that's one of the fun things about doing a show like this is that you become something more than just a casual fan because as we do research and as we look into the topics that we're going to be discussing, we're going to learn things that we didn't know. We're going to discover new things and share them with the listeners. Something Lucky listeners. Yes, very lucky listeners. <laughs> and, and you know what? It's not going to get any luckier than the official first installment of our G.I. Joe 
audible interlude review. Bum, bum, bum. Each and every episode of the Audible Interlude podcast, we will be bringing you a review of some form of G.I. Joe media, whether it's comics, whether it's cartoons, whether it's one of the movies, or whether it is an audio-only mission, such as the one that was included in 1986 with the G.I. Joe Special Mission Brazil Toys R Us exclusive action figure set. And we are kicking this thing off with a real humdinger, let me tell you. Uh, when is the last time you guys heard this, or had you ever heard this? It had been a First few time. years for me. Now, did you have the Special Mission Brazil set when you were kids? Oh, Lord, no. I'd be a, I'd be a rich man. <laughs> so, I had the Special Mission Brazil set. When I was a kid, my mom uh, kind of randomly got it. I I, I want to say that I came home from school one day and she had it waiting for me, and it blew my mind because these were repaints of Joes that I was already familiar with, and then a, a new character, uh, Claymore, who was the <coughs> leader of this special mission, uh, and it was a unique piece in that it included this cassette tape. That was an audio adventure that was not available anywhere else. And it was just a cassette. No no case, no nothing. And it's a 7 minute and 41 second, almost like a radio play. Like if you, you know, if you're familiar with Doctor Who, you know they do, they still do the audio broadcast. Back in the day, you had sort of radio plays that people would listen to before television. And then even when we were kids, uh you would have sort of the golden books that would come with 45 records and things like that. Like it was very common for toy lines to have, uh, tie-ins that were just audio, you know, usually a record, but cassettes later on. Uh, so Noel, you said you had heard it. Did you hear it from Yojo? Uh, yeah, probably. Cause it, it's been a few years since the first time I listened to it. said, I never, never heard it as a child. And then, uh, I was like, oh, someone put the audio up, and I powered through it once <laughs> and did it again here recently. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Christian, what about you? What was your awareness level of, of this adventure and this set You know, prior to, to this? Yeah, so this is one of those things I did not know existed before, or I had totally forgotten about it uh, until you you mentioned um so it definitely was my first time listening to it um and it's been on repeat ever since can't quite figure out (laughs) if i'm enjoying it that much or if it's uh if i'm torturing (laughs) myself um because because i'm sure we'll get it we'll we'll get into the music but i'm telling you listeners if you haven't if you haven't listened to this, it's 8-bit G.I. Joe meets Pitfall. It's <laughs> it's better than Fat Labrador. Uh, it's so synthy. 
So and, and look, I got nothing. I got nothing against synth, but it is just grating. Just the the pitch and the tone and everything about it the whole time. So for the listeners, well, when you can... if if you have oh. not heard this, uh, you can go to yojo.com and search for Special Mission Brazil, and they actually have this audio uploaded. Now it occurred to me that I could probably just play it here and not suffer any kind of copyright issues, but we're trying to be as friendly to the internet as we possibly can, so no copyright infringement, no cursing. We're we're good boys here on the G.I. Joe Audible Interlude podcast. Uh, but you can go to Yojo, they have it uploaded there, you can download it, you can listen to it, stream it, whatever you need to do before you hear our, our review here. So... I, you know, I'm most curious, Christian, going into this, not really even being aware of this set, much less this audio adventure, when this thing started playing, what was your first thought? Uh, my first thought was, where's the book that goes with this? Right. Uh, because there are... It just... It's lacking a visual that that growing up in that era, like you said, you know, that you were used to cassettes and books, records and books. So uh, I kept thinking, is there stuff that I'm missing because I'm not looking at the pictures of what this book is? Because there's a lot of jungle drums and 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 music playing where nobody's really saying anything. So what? But then again, uh, also. By today's standards, uh, there's a little bit of a sensitivity issue. Uh, as soon as they said "savage natives," I was like, "Yeah, oh, yeah." I, I'm hoping. Uh, God, I wonder what that artwork was. That would be um, the, that would be the Tupi Guatane tribe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who who so. are the? The biggest threat of the entire adventure, and or, or to, to sum it up for the listeners, uh, Claymore and our Joe team of dial tone, mainframe, wetsuit, leatherneck. Oh gosh, and one more. Uh, Claymore, dial tone, mainframe, wetsuit, leatherneck. Oh, is that it? You... Yep. Yeah. Just the, okay. Uh, our team have been dispatched to Brazil home of the lethal Tupe Gawatne tribe to recover the Voltronic something or other. I've listened to this a dozen times since we've discussed doing a review, and I still don't know what the second word they say is. Voltronic galvanitator? I don't know. They Uh, don't do a very good job of equalizing the background music to the <laughs> no. voice actors, no. which they might have been doing because of the voice actors' performances. Now, I will say but... this. You say voice actors. I'm not convinced there are multiple voice <laughs> actors. <laughs> I think it's entirely possible. But this is what I picture. So when I was a little kid, because I've always wanted to be a voice actor, even when I was a little kid, and I when I played with my G.I. Joes, I did my best to imitate the voices in the cartoon, so I'd be like a little kid trying to do Destro's deep voice and whatever. This is what I picture is there's just basically a grown-up me imitating all these voices. 
Yeah, yeah. kind of got the same. Uh, one, maybe two max, because, you know, they, they had to pay those people, and I didn't figure they, they were going to spend a lot of money on voice talent for a seven-and-a-half-minute-long audio cassette. Well, and that's true. They they have at least one male and one female, because Baroness is a, a female voice actor. Yes. Probably the one that, that sounds closest to the, uh, uh, the, the voice we're more familiar with, too. Yeah, yeah. Although... Cobra Commander is giving it his best Chris Lada. I mean, <laughs> it's a value. Dude was trying. Because that sort of surprised me. I thought, much like the records we had when we were kids, it would be totally unrecognizable voices going in a totally different direction. And yet, they were trying to make it sound like the cartoon. So it it's off enough that it's, when you're listening to it, it's just like, okay, what? You know, well, and if you ever heard the Listen and Fun tape that came with Tripwire a couple years before this, those voices were t- uh, completely indistinguishable from the from the real things. Uh, Cobra Commander sounded like he was doing a bad Peter Lorre impression the whole time. <laughs> so this this is this is a vast improvement over that, but still not very good. Oh well, dear! This this one had the benefit of the show had been on for a little while at this point, and they had a frame of reference because even even dial tone and mainframe kind of sound like they sound on the show a little bit like there's clearly an effort being made whereas the wetsuit sounds like leatherneck uh, yeah wet they they get those a little mixed up but uh yeah the listening fun at that point the the cartoon was so fresh i i doubt the per- whoever did that even had a frame of reference for what the characters should sound like uh the lasers? Can we talk about the lasers? And then the, the, the one reference outside of uh, Cobra Commander, Baroness Destro, um, uh, of the Vipers, they reference the Vipers, and then they also reference the Tomahawk uh, as the extraction mm-hmm. for the Joes. Once, once they, because, you know, Cobra retreats. As, as soon as the as soon as there's any threat <laughs> yeah. whatsoever, Cobra's yeah, the whole story is there? Cobra retreats. Yes, and uh, and the Tupa Tupe Tupe are the imminent threat that the Joes must get the Voltronic Disseminator or whatever it's called <laughs> and get the heck out of Dodge before they show up and they summon the Tomahawk Chopper and of course it arrives just in time and the entire last minute and a half of this adventure of this seven minute and 41 second adventure is the narrator saying once again the gi joes have narrowly escaped <laughs> like oh i mean it's, it's and then there's the last 30 seconds are the theme again and the narrator gave it more gravitas than any of the performers i i actually have it written in my notes here uh, that this was just a sleepy off day for Cobra because nobody had their coffee. Well, yeah, like, every when time they're like, oh, Cobra. we should retreat, and Cobra Commander's like, yeah, <laughs> we can come back another day. <laughs> Cobra. Cobra. <laughs> it's fun. And actually, I'm like, going to throw it in at the, during the podcast at some point because I think I can get away with half a second of audio. Uh, I, I will put the the rallying Cobra cry in here. <laughs> I mean, I laughed out loud at work, and everyone's like, are you okay? I'm just like, Cobra. <laughs> yeah, it's 
it's almost like the the um during the the nineteen eighty seven the movie during the theme song where it says Cobra Cobra. Hmm. It's almost like that every time they say Cobra, like that down note Cobra. Yeah, cry. like it's Christmas morning and Cobra Commander went to the tree and he has no presents and he's just like Cobra. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. It's so lackadaisical. I, I think what is amazing is this is only seven and a half minutes long. It's you know it's essentially one third of an episode of the cartoon. Uh, it feels three times longer than any episode of the Hasbro <laughs> cartoon, uh, uh, the Sunbow cartoon. Somehow, um, and still, even with that short time frame, and you kind of brushed on it earlier, Christian, there are swaths of area, swaths of uh, periods of this tape where it's just synth music for like 10 or 15 seconds with no sound effects, with no voices. It's just, I, I, how, how could something that short be that dull? And the story is so really non-existent that it just, here's some voices and here's your basic setup and then Cobra treats. And then it's, (laughs) yeah. I definitely came up with better missions than this when I was, you know, a a nine-year-old kid. So, in closing, on our review, uh, I'm not going to ask us to do any kind of star system or anything, uh, but we're we're just going to go with recommended or not. And I'm going to say recommended only because it's such an interesting slice of G.I. Joe Real American Hero history. And because everybody who's any kind of G.I. Joe fan needs to hear this theme song. Uh, Christian, Agreed. what about you? Where do you where do you rate this? Recommended or not? 100% recommended for the music alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Noel? Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, you, you have, if you're a Joe fan and you never heard this, you have to listen to it. It's just, just to kind of see what all was out there. Um, <laughs> you know, if, if you're just, if you're just used to watching a Sunbow cartoon or reading a comic, uh, Larry Hound comic book back in the eighties, then there were, there was other media and, uh, this <laughs> This certainly was one of them. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, next time we should we should review side two of the cassette, which is seven and a half minutes of, of blank audio for you to record your own adventure. You, you know what? I think that's a good idea. I think we should each record our own adventure, uh, and we will play those because those we can play. <laughs> Uh, as the in the coming months on the Audible Interlude podcast, I think that's a great idea, Noel. There you go. Audio treats. Cobra. Welcome to Missing in Action, where we take a look at a character who did not receive the figure they deserve from any era of the G.I. Joe franchise. This month on the show, it is Christian's pick. Yes, so, man, this this was hard. I I don't do well with a lot of uh, choices because I can think of so many things. Uh, but putting myself back into the Real American Hero timeline to sort of kick off our first episode here, and thinking back to the Marvel comics, as a kid, the one character I always wanted a toy of would have been Billy, Cobra Commander's son. Uh, so 
in the comics, uh, he finds out he's Cobra Commander's son. They're trying to groom him for Cobra. He ends up turning against them uh, and learning uh, the martial arts and, and whatnot from Storm Shadow. Uh, and, but along the way of his adventures, you know, uh, he loses a leg. He loses his eye. Um, so I felt like it would be it would have been such a very interesting look for a character not to have him as his like little kid version but the more uh teenage young adult because i'm you know gi joe reused bucks uh to have him in with his uh like upgraded to like a bionic leg the eye patch would have been awesome on a figure uh and then to have that kind of foe for Cobra Commander where you have a personal connection to him. So that is my pick. Well, I love I love that that's your pick because that's exactly the character I had in mind when I came up with this segment for the show. Uh, Billy, to me, you know... When we were kids especially, it seemed like every comic book, every cartoon that had a toy tie-in, it seemed very important to the creators to have that kid viewpoint for us to relate to, whether it was Matt Tracker's son or or whoever, and they were always annoying. Yes! Billy was something different, and not only was he kind of relatable but as time went on, they actually developed him as a character, and he became something to me that was very, very important to the G.I. Joe Real American Hero mythology. And while he did later on get a figure through the Collector's Club, uh, I feel like he should have had some kind of figure in the Real American Hero line because he was such a cool aspect of the comic book. Yeah, you could tell Larry Hama enjoyed Billy. Well, he but... gave he gave such a personal storyline fulcrum for Cobra Commander. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that coming up with characters like that, something that Larry did a lot because there weren't a lot of especially early on, there weren't a lot of Cobra face characters. You had Cobra Commander and a bunch of faceless troopers so you know he came up with the baroness he came up he elevated certain troopers like scarface so having to come up with new characters especially ones on cobra side was something he did quite a few times and billy was probably the one that was of all those not counting the baroness of course because she got a figure and became a major character but of all those billy was definitely the one that was most prolific throughout the series yeah hasbro did wrong by not going with and that showed kind of how how one way the communication was between the comic because you know it, it and look it was the 80s it's how the the toy media connection worked um but you know cool stuff from the comics didn't often show up in the toy line but a lot of times the toy line would hand stuff to Larry Hama and he would make things cooler than they initially maybe were uh, but I agree 100%. Billy Billy Arbok, as the Collector's Club figure is called, 
uh, absolutely deserved a figure back in the 80s. And as a kid, I would have been thrilled to have one. In Beyond the 80s, we will take a look at an aspect of the G.I. Joe franchise outside of a real American hero. And this month, we are looking at Street Fighter II. Uh, Noel, why don't you tell us a little bit about Street Fighter II being part, officially part of the G.I. Joe line, not a Street Fighter line in and of itself? Well, this was obviously long after I had stopped really paying attention to G.I. Joe. I knew Street Fighter 2. Uh, at that point, I was more familiar with Street Fighter 2 than G.I. Joe, but I was really a toy collector in 1993 when they came out. Um, but it didn't really make sense to me that they would fit in because I had dropped out of G.I. Joe around 87 or 88 when there was some fantasy elements, but it was still pretty military. And um, seeing some of these wacky figures... Um, being adapted into official G.I. Joe figures kind of blew my mind at the time. Yeah, it seemed very bizarre to me, and I keep my brain keeps wanting to put this in 1992. Uh, it is 1993, um, and I was way out of G.I. Joe by that point. I, I was Ninja Turtles, I was Marvel's Toy Biz, um, or Toy Biz is Marvel, rather. Uh, but G.I. Joe w was... Honestly, a, a kind of distant memory at this point, but I was aware that there were Street Fighter figures that were part of the G.I. Joe line. And at the time, it seemed really weird to me, but like you said, there are a lot of military aspects to Street Fighter. So in retrospect, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. I mean, Guile could have been a character right out of Street Fighter. M. Bison was, and they advertised them as members of G.I. Joe and Cobra. Uh, there's some amazing live-action commercials that are available on YouTube that everyone should hunt down and watch. Well, and what's funny is how most of these figures are just repaints with, with all new heads of existing G.I. Joe figures, and that for the most part they work really well. Uh, Christian, what, what's your 1993 recollection of this line? Yeah, by this point, uh, I was off in college, uh, so not being at home uh, was totally out of G.I. Joe, uh, not seeing what my younger brother was getting, uh, but still being into toy collecting with Transformers Generation 2, stuff like that. Uh, so frequently down the toy aisle, uh, I remember seeing these on the pegs and just thinking, what uh to me they they reused some of the worst gi joe molds uh chun li so uh <laughs> and i can't ever forgive them for putting a vest on zangief so i just remember me and my friends looking at them and just being like this wow this is a money grab well, yeah, it's definitely cost-cutting measures because of how much reuse they had. Yeah, and it's interesting looking at that Zangief. And, and I I am horrible at fighting games, so I had no real attachment to Street Fighter. Like, 
I didn't look at these and think to myself, oh, that Blanca looks a little slim, doesn't he? Like, it, <laughs> it, it didn't, I didn't care. It just seemed like a weird thing to me. But, you know, looking at them now, like you said, that Chun-Li, it's funny, out of this whole entire sort of subset of G.I. Joe, those awful, awful, that T-crotch hip joint on Chun-Li is the worst. That's what I think of when I think of Street Fighter G.I. Joe. Well, that Chun-Li is uh, a straight repaint, other than the head, of probably my least favorite G.I. Joe figure of the era, uh, which is the Ninja Force Scarlet. Um, Yeah. Just Mm. terrible figure. Um, She had some kind of action. That's why her hips are like that, right? Yeah, yeah. They all had some kind of action. It Actually, the color scheme, I think, looks better with Chun-Li. Um, than it does with Scarlet, but it's weird to see Chun Li wearing like white pants. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, interestingly enough, uh, we have a, one of the mo- one of the most successful figures. I think is Dalsim, who is a hundred percent new tooling, never used again for anything else, and like just standing there, he looks pretty good. But then you realize they didn't even bother to include like. Ex- extendable limbs or anything like that he's just yeah. he's just a dude with skulls then, on his chest yeah yeah it's, it's the, is he the only one that's a complete well he and e honda but uh yeah e honda who what well, look Ooh. if you're if you're gonna do entirely new tooling why does he have to look so messed up, <laughs> What's up with that, waist? that is uh, awful like i don't understand how that got by anybody was there uh, a, a, Yokozuna, a Yokozuna figure that they could have just borrowed from their WWF line at the time? Uh, honestly, yeah. Just throw throw the, the Hasbro Yokozuna out there. It would have been better than this monstrosity. <laughs> um, so the, the entire line consists, uh, the single-carded figures are Balrog, Blanca, Chun-Li, Dalsim, E-Honda, excuse me, Edmund Honda, uh, Guile, Ken Masters, who is absolutely baffling. Uh, M. Bison, Ryu, who is slightly less baffling than Ken Masters. Uh, Sagat, Vega, and Zangief. And I've got to say that out of what we're looking at, I think probably Vega, to my eyes, is the most acceptable one of these I, guiles probably okay as well but my my what drives me crazy they all shared the same weapons oh yeah i'll i'll gi yeah, just so, pretty much did at that point so zangief who in the game and, and street fighter 2 was a huge part of my freshman year at college uh you know, known for his claws, and they didn't even give that to him. I just love that they're all carry. They all have like rifles and things. Like I, I didn't ever think of Street Fighter shooting each other up. Oh my gosh, you're right. Yeah, Vega. Even though Snake Eyes just a few years earlier had basically Vega's claws. Right, Storm Shadow. I believe oh, had yeah, them Storm at Shadow, one Storm point. Shadow. So. So, the tooling existed, 
and they just didn't but do they, it. But they went that first wave Ninja Turtle route where, here, everybody <laughs> just gets the same thing. But at least Playmates still gave each turtle their individual weapons. Yeah, this is I'm, I'm sort of scrolling through these weapons here, and and this is well, something. Well, Sagat has the claws that Vega should have had. This is something that yeah, you're right. He's he's <laughs> got him. He's got him in purple. Uh, it, it is. It's just kind of a, a weird thing where rather than give anybody anything accurate, they were like, well, let's just pile in a ton of accessories. Uh, and. and since this is a subset of G.I. Joe, there were vehicles as well, because we all remember the vehicles of Street Fighter, right? Yeah. <laughs> all we, the vehicles and the rifles and those things. We, we remember the classics, like the Beast Blaster and the Crimson <laughs> Cruiser and the Sonic Boom Tank. Look, um, the Beast Blaster is a is a, a complete redeco of the uh, Thunder Machine, and I'll take all the versions that I can get. Yeah, I mean, look, this is... <laughs> and, and the, It's an interesting point that there are the well these are all redecos of existing things even the dragon fortress which i think think is the, the most egregious offender here the dragon fortress is a redeco of the toxo lab hang on just a second yeah the cobra toxo lab and looks absolutely nothing i can't imagine something looking less like a dragon fortress <laughs> Than this, than this blue and green, like just pile of of things. This is awful. I can't. Like it looks not Street Fightery at all. They would have been better off just doing another cardboard like background to look like something for the game. Uh, and then the Crimson Cruiser, which is M Bison's uh, vehicle, that's a repaint of. The Badger, and these are all, aside from the Thunder Machine, these are all later era G.I. Joe vehicles that I'm not even familiar with off the top of my head. Uh, but the funny thing is, it's the Crimson Cruiser, but the M. Bison that comes with it is blue! <laughs> uh, and then finally, the Sonic Boom Tank, which is obviously Guile's. It comes with a Guile who's in all brown, looking like the worst Guile you've ever seen. Like, nobody is selecting this alternate outfit if they're playing Street Fighter. Uh, and this is a redo of the Paralyzer tank from 1991, which is definitely one of the lesser G.I. Joe tanks. It's, uh, it's, it's just this monstrosity that has two seats, tons of rockets, and really weird treads. Um, out of these, even once I am done completing my vintage G.I. Joe collection... I do not see myself buying anything except maybe the Beast Blaster because, like you said, Noel, the the anything that's a Thunder Machine could be repurposed to be a different Thunder Machine. Uh, Christian, overall thoughts about this line is: does it have any worth whatsoever? No. If you're if you're a fan of Street Fighter, there are so many better figures that have come out since then. Um, you know, if you're a Joe collector, like you said, yeah. If you want to get the vehicles, customize them. Sure, uh, but those figures are just bad. 
yeah, we're we're all grown ups now. We all have uh, you know enough disposable income to to support our toy habits. Go check out Storm Collectibles if you want some Street Fighter figures. Um, there, there's lots of really great stuff out there that doesn't look like repainted GI Joes. And I, we were <laughs> talking about it earlier, but they this was the only year. Ninety three was the only year the Street Fighter. There were Street Fighter figures from the movie the next year. They were just repaints of these figures, but they weren't G.I. Joe branded. And they also did Mortal Kombat figures that same year that had the same articulation as Joe figures, not G.I. Joe branded. Yeah, so we will not be discussing those on the Audible Interlude podcast. Now, looking at these from a purely G.I. Joe point of view, disregard the fact that they're Street Fighter figures. Are there any figures from this collection that you wouldn't mind putting on the shelf in a Vintage Joe collection? I actually kind of like the look of the M. Bison figure. Uh, I think it's it's a sharp-looking figure until you realize that he's wearing a baseball jersey. <laughs> because he's his, his upper body is hardball. Oh, no. Uh, but other than that, I think he's a, he's a decent-looking figure. Like, I could see him being like a... A general in Cobra's armies. Well, to be um, fair, it's not like Hasbro had produced anybody in any kind of military uniforms at that point. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've, M. Bison is overall a, a pretty cool design. Like he almost looks kind of October Guardish. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I you know, but I got to say, there's nobody in here. Maybe that bizarre Ken Masters figure. <laughs> his insanely angry face uh you know maybe he could be some kind of weirdo red ninja offshoot or like oh okay maybe he's if you've got your own sort of fantasy joe story going on what if ken masters is fred after he's gone insane from not being able to be cobra commander Oh, yeah. He's got okay. the long hair. He looks crazy. Fred 7, ninja version. Yeah, I think this is just crazy Fred. Other than that, yeah. I have any of these. So there you go. That is uh, our look back at the Street Fighter 2 line, a uh, subline of the G.I. Joe line. This segment is called Instruments of Destruction. Yes, I'm sure you get that reference. And this month, it is Noel's turn to spotlight a vehicle or accessory from the G.I. Joe toy line. Noel, take it away. Well, you know, for the first time we're going to do Instruments of Destruction, I thought, you know, what is a super iconic vehicle that everyone knows and everyone is familiar with? Um, But I said, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do something that I have a lot of personal love for that I think gets overlooked way too much. So I'm going to go to 1984, uh, the G.I. Joe self-propelled cannon, the Slugger, which is always a favorite toy of mine. 
it's not one that gets a lot of love in the media. It's kind of forgotten, um, but I think it's a it's a great vehicle. It's got a lot of great play value. Uh, it's one that has that like realistic military look to it without being bidding, um, particularly uh, anything realistic. Um, it could be based on like an M109 self-propelled cannon, but it's not a treaded vehicle. It's got those six wheels. Um, it's a camo paint job. Not a lot of vehicles that got uh, camo paint applications back in the G.I. Joe line. It was the first tank where you could actually put the driver completely inside the vehicle and cover a hatch. Speaking of which, it has an awesome hatch um, and a, a hinged engine cover. So unlike a lot of the ones where you can pull the engine cover off and then you lose it, this one actually opened and closed and was hinged so you could uh, you know not lose it every time. Uh, also, speaking of things you don't lose... The tow rope on it, unlike the, the Mauler and the Wolverine, uh, you're not going to lose it because it's molded on, uh, which I think is a huge step up. Um, it had a, a really couple cool action features, like it had a stabilizer in the back so that this giant cannon wasn't going to, uh, you know, uh, kick you back 30 feet every time it every time it launched. Um, it had that amazing cannon, which is like nine inches long on the toy, so it's just really striking looking, uh, very powerful. And uh, a secondary weapon, which is a cool little machine gun that's mounted up by the by the canopy. So, um, tons of cool stuff. I'd say if it had any any cons, it's that it doesn't have any foot pegs. So, unlike every other Joe vehicle, you can fit your entire arsenal on. You can only put you know the one driver inside. Um, but like I said, it got it got overlooked in the media. Very few cartoon appearances. Um, the driver thunder. Very few appearances. Um, as a matter of fact, I don't even think it was ever featured in the Marvel comic until 1987, issue 76, um, which was like three years after it first debuted and was no longer on the shelves at that point. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, I loved this thing because, to me, it was the first tank you could really play with because at that point we had the Mobat and we had the um, Wolverine. Wait, am I right on that? Yep. Cover, cover girls? Okay. The Mobat and the Wolverine. The Mobat, uh, as we discussed on the Needless Things podcast episodes, was kind of boring. Like, it was a tank, and we were excited to have it at the time, but then once you get to playing with it, the thing moves, you know, slower than a snail. <laughs> uh, there's just, there's not a lot of play to that thing. The Wolverine comes out, very, very cool, but you do have an exposed driver, and the as cool as the rockets were, it just seemed like that was a whole lot of tank with not a whole lot of weapon. This thing came out, and it's got the wheels, it rolls, it's very mobile, it's got the giant cannon, it's got the backstop that pulls out of the back. Uh, just it felt more dynamic and exciting than the previous tanks we had gotten. And you mentioned the lack of foot pegs, but to me, that was because this thing was an armored beast. You didn't want dudes and ladies hanging out outside of it. You, you had your pilot inside, safe and secure. You rolled this thing to the front lines, and it just took all the firepower Cobra had because it was this armored beast. Uh, which, granted, the size of that cannon suggests it would actually be at the rear uh <laughs> <laughs> going for distance, but...
but whatever. I was a kid and I didn't know that at the time. I I, I, I loved fan. it. Yeah, and I love the fact that you had the 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 monocular that uh, Thunder had. So you know, yes, I always yes. had him up there where he's he's targeting his sights. He's what well, he's checking his range, and then he's like getting in that thing and launching this gigantic artillery <laughs> shell. You know, a, a few hundred uh, meters. Christian Slugger thoughts. Love. Loved it. Uh, to us, it was this little compact, uh, more heavily armored. Like, I always imagined it just having thicker armor because of its size than the the larger tanks. And uh, the size of the cannon is just impressive. It does. I mean, it looks like a little brute. It looks tough. The matter of fact, the only thing on it that looks in any way vulnerable is the cannon, just because it, it extends so far beyond the actual chassis and frame of the vehicle but the vehicle itself is this compact little bulldog i i just uh i love how tough it looks i love how mobile it looks mm-hmm. uh just a very very cool design and so many details on it like i said i mentioned the um the engine cover but it's got you know the, the sculpted engine inside but he, one thing that's really unique, unique about it and i was picking up and looking at my toy uh the other night while just kind of thinking about what to talk about uh it's got molding on the underside of it um, you see, like there's there's like panels that you can see on the the bottom of the vehicle that you'd never see in play. So, where other uh, other vehicles are going to be like hollow on the bottom, or they're just going to be very plain. They actually went so far as to detail the bottom. So, that's an interesting touch. Yeah, I feel like this was one where. Like you said, they were still sticking to basic military designs, but they were getting a little bit of creative freedom, and. Honestly, it seems like maybe the designer, because they were allowed a little extra, put a little extra into it. Yeah. Awesome. Any last thoughts about this awesome vehicle from 1984? Said it's it's. I just I'm. I was always very sad. I kind of felt like it was a you know when you had a toy that you loved but you didn't see a lot of it in the media, you kind of felt like it was. It almost wasn't like real GI Joe because they just didn't give it that 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 much attention. Um, but I still got tons of play value out of it, and uh, not that many. Like they haven't reissued it in the modern line. They did um, a mailway that did not have camo applications, and they did a reissue in the '90s '97 um, that actually came with Gung Ho as a driver. Uh, but really, it's it, it's kind of disappeared. It's been 23 <laughs> years since there was any representation of it. To me, this could look very cool updated with maybe like an urban camo or a, a, a darker, blacker design. Yeah, it'd be a good Cobra vehicle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that is this month's Instrument of Destruction. Alright, it is time to bring it home, and we close the show out with a segment called Knowing is Half the Babble. And we're going to kick it off with Christian. What do you want to babble about this month? Alright, so to kick it off first episode, I thought I would just give a shout out to the three greatest minutes of G.I. Joe that exists. When somebody says G.I. Joe, this pops into my head. 
the opening of the animated G.I. Joe movie. Yes. Joe versus Cobra at the Statue of Liberty. That is hands down better than the live action movies combined. Uh, you can just watch that and, on repeat, and it, it gives me chills every single time. My babble is about the awful, horrible, terrible, inexcusable presale that Hasbro coordinated with the network app or whatever it's called for the supposed variant Cobra Commander. Now, uh, I'm not sure if Hasbro really knew who they were getting into bed with on this one. The network app is a new shopping app that seems really focused on the influencer model of purchasing and buying. Uh, when I first heard about this presale that was supposedly going to be for the light blue variant of the Cobra Commander G.I. Joe classified figure, I went and I took a look at the app, and it seemed sketchy to me. So I decided if I miss out on that figure, I'm going to miss out on that figure because I am not downloading that app onto my phone. I am not giving them any information about myself whatsoever. It just looked bad. And guess what? It was bad. Because what happened is people downloaded that app, they logged on, there are people who have no idea if they actually ordered the figure or not. Some people don't know if they ordered one or if they ordered 11. Uh, They have no idea what they've got. And then, after the pre-order sold out, in approximately 8 seconds, Network came out and said, Oh, by the way... It's not that light blue one that we put up the picture of. It's the regular one that you guys have already seen all over the place and will be widely available from literally every retailer. Now, it remains to be seen if Network will be shipping their allocation prior to anybody else's, but whatever the case is, this app seems shady as heck, and I want nothing to do with it. Well said. Yeah. For, for my babble today... I want to talk about one of my favorite uh, television shows when I was a child. Uh, it came on WGN out of Chicago. Uh, it was a show called The Bozo Show. Uh, it featured Bozo the Clown and his pals Cookie and Wizzo, and uh, probably very creepy if I tried to watch it right now because it was some grown men playing around a bunch of children. Uh, but, uh, you know, there was a lot of fun stuff on the show, and you're wondering why am I talking about this on a G.I. Joe podcast? Uh, well, there were a few ties into G.I. Joe. Uh, one of my favorite segments, of course, was the grand prize game where children tossed ping pong balls into into buckets to win great prizes. And there were a lot of G.I. Joe prizes that were given away on the grand prize game. And I wanted to go to Chicago so bad because I had a strategy on how I was going to win that grand prize game and get my hands on all those cool G.I. Joe toys. But they also interspersed a lot of cartoons. And in the early days, it was a Bugs Bunny or a Heckle and Jekyll or something like that, but later on they started going to the more modern stuff, and G.I. Joe was featured pretty much every other week. Um, they would take one of the segments from a cartoon, seven or eight minutes, throw it in there um, as part of that hour, and uh, then you'd have Bozo, this old man who knew nothing about the product, who was uh, rambling about the events of this week's G.I. Joe, and always like, I wonder what's going to happen next! So, uh, yeah, that's my rant about the Bozo Show and its relation to G.I. Joe.
Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to the Audible Interlude Podcast. Uh, all music provided by Andy Samford of electricminnowmusic.com. Please go check that out. And you can find the Audible Interlude Podcast on Instagram. Uh, please go uh, follow, like, share, do whatever you do. And we are part of the Needless Things Podcast family. Uh, Christian and Noel, where can we find you guys online? What are you up to? You go first, Noel. Uh, so you can find me, I mentioned earlier, on dorkdroppings.com, although I don't update it very often. There's 20-something years of content uh, out there that are available for, for use. Uh, I am uh, also uh, often appearing when there's not a global pandemic uh, at conventions, uh, representing the finest uh, G.I. Joe costuming group, international group that raises money for great charities. Uh, our current charity is Canines for Warriors. Uh, since you can't go see us at a lot of conventions right now, um, you can always donate to us. Um, anytime you get a chance, go check out uh, The Finest on Facebook. Go to thefinestcc.com um, and uh, make your donations to Canines for Warriors. Awesome. You can find me on Flickr and uh, Instagram uh, from all my toy photography, uh, codename Legion Cub. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for hanging out and talking G.I. Joe. And we'll, we will be back next month with all new segments, all new topics, and hopefully we'll hear from you, the listeners, about what you want from this all-new G.I. Joe podcast. Remember, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts. We'll be there. Yo, Joe. Cobra. <laughs> listening to the needless things podcast you're the best you can find the show on itunes stitcher downcast or in the ears of a trader vix employee love you mean it uh-huh <laughs>